Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Rushi Roy, to our show today. Rushi is the co-founder and CEO of Avrani, a premium skincare company inspired by India's ancient beauty rituals. As a first-generation Indian-American, Rushi would often make her own skincare with her mom, who showed her how to harness the power of raw ingredients like turmeric and raw honey to maintain beautiful skin. Having these skincare rituals with her family for Rushi was very normal, so it wasn't until she grew up as an adult and was looking for her passion and wanting to do something different that the idea of Avrani even came to place. In this wide-ranging interview, we talk about a whole host of topics, like how she left her credible finance career to launch a business, even when she wasn't really even thinking of herself as an entrepreneur at the time, how and why your personal growth really directly impacts your business, why waiting to be ready and 100% perfect will never be the right answer when it comes to starting your company, steps where she took to build awareness in a saturated market when she was still self-funding the business, and how Rushi overcame depression and her biggest learnings that came from her first year in business. Welcome to the show, Rushi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm intrigued. I know your name has come up from mutual friends and just people in the community about you joining the podcast. So I am super pumped that we have you here and we get to dive deep into your story and you're all about just being vulnerable and authentic. So I already know this is going to be a- an amazing conversation. Before we kind of go into your journey, I'd love to start with a higher level question. So, you know, being an entrepreneur and creating something from scratch, it really makes you feel like you're exposed and feeling very vulnerable about really putting something out there. So I'd love to talk more about this because I feel like so many of us feel that putting any body of work out there, right? But not all of us will kind of go through the finish line and get it out there. So tell me more about how you think about this and how you really push through those vulnerable feelings with Avrani. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I would I'd just like to start by saying, I think from my experiences, there's no sort of cure or way out of this feeling aside from just getting through it and doing the work and exposing yourself anyway. And it's pretty much like a cycle where it builds on itself. And every time you put yourself out there in a new small way, your muscle for you know, speaking up and asserting yourself to the public, it gets strengthened over time. So I would start by encouraging people in the sense that you don't have to have anything figured out before you start a business, take a leap, make a move, take a risk, whatever it is. Uh, it is in the act of doing so that builds that um, trait. And I think we forget we're all you know, on a journey towards our truest, highest selves, and we never give ourselves credit for that journey. We expect ourselves to be perfect at a peak. 
uh, before we allow any exposure feedback. And it's just like, that's not how this works. <laughs> exactly, right? It's it's totally not how it works. And it's funny because I had a podcast recently where we kind of flipped the script. My husband was interviewing me on my journey kind of building the business. And it was really the first time that A, I've really talked about my journey and B, like been very vulnerable about you know, how the feeling of exposure and just it's not every day is perfect. And there's so many opportunities where you're going through your own journey and your own hardships. And I was just so surprised about how many women reach out to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're also going through this. I feel this way every day. And it's like having these conversations. And I know, you know, you just talked about, you never felt a hundred percent ready to get anything out there. And you're also a first time mm -hmm. entrepreneur, but like you said, it's the act of doing that. You kind of are growing on your own journey and you look back and you're like, wow, I've actually come so far. Right. And then totally. you're just hitting another milestone in like getting outside your comfort zone. So it's this constant ebb and flow of life. And I I just think you talked so well about that. So I, I appreciate you talking about it. And um, so I want to actually talk about your upbringing now. So, you know, okay. you've always said that you never felt like you really belonged. And, you know, whether it was your specific culture or also maybe you being a rebel in middle school, which I absolutely loved when I was reading more about <laughs> you. But tell me more about your upbringing and that feeling that you had growing up. Sure. So I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit and uh, the schools I went to, the activities I was involved in, in those situations, I was the only Indian girl. It was mostly Caucasian. And we also fortunately had a pretty robust Bengali community where we would go to temple together, have dinners, get togethers over the weekends. Uh, and that was a group of immigrants and second generation immigrants who were basically other, other children of my parents' friends. Uh, we had our own kind of um, schedule or social calendar, right? So in those situations, I also, for whatever reason, didn't feel like I quite belonged because there were many expectations around, uh, especially how an Indian girl should behave and act. Mm. And I was always too mischievous, too outspoken, uh, just a little bit, I, I made a lot of adults feel uncomfortable a lot. And so I just, I didn't feel like loved or that sense of belonging that I felt like I should have had uh, in a situation where there are all these other um, Indian people around me and I actually look like everyone else. So I always kind of had this conflict of like, well, it's not just about how you look and how you appear. Like you have to have a sense of a deep sense of shared values to have a, a sense of belonging. And it, it kind of just like opened up my mind in, in terms of, okay, then what does that really mean to you? How are you going to get there if it's, if it's not just being around people who look like you or being around people who do things you like, but none of them look like you and there's still something off there. So I just kind of had to figure it out and define that for myself in order to get to a place where I, I finally feel like I belong. Yeah. And I think that's a journey that so many of us kind of go through. And I'm curious, like, at what point did you finally find yourself and really that alignment? Because I know, you know, kind of looking at your career, you you kind of went down the cookie cutter journey of like an amazing, you know, student career. You had a career in investment banking, so which we'll go into. But I'm just curious, like, how long did that process take of unfolding for you to really understand who you are as a person? Yeah. Wow. What a beautiful question. I mean, I would start by saying that 
I, I didn't do very well in school. Like my first semester of school, I got a 0.8 GPA in college. Stop. And really? they were going to kick me out. Yeah. Tell <laughs> me more I about just, this. Yeah. Why? I, I never like, I always thought school was the concept of school was kind of silly because yeah. I just, I didn't learn that way. And the the ways in which they measured me, I I didn't get good grades. So I felt like something was off. And it was like, I know I'm smart, but I don't have something that can show that I'm smart because school's not giving that to me. So I had this weird relationship with school where I was kind of like anti, I don't need this, you know, like, and that's where that sense of rebellion kind of started, where I was like, okay, I'm not caring about school in the way that my peers are. Um, and so that's where I kind of leaned into it. But in college, when my dad was like, all right, I'm not paying for this. If you're, you're not going to take it seriously. Uh, I starting my sophomore year of college, I was like, all right, figure like you're going to be on your own. What is a career that you can get behind? Like you need to start figuring this out. And there just so happened to be this really robust investment banking program at Indiana where I went to college. And the more I looked into it, the more I learned that it was like, very competitive. It was like very few people make it to New York. Most people go to Chicago. Uh, there's a, It's a very rigorous program. And a lot of these places don't take students who didn't go to Ivy League schools or don't have a connection in there. And for whatever reason, I it made me feel like, let me see if I can just do this. Because I didn't have that, like I said, external validation from school to tell me I was smart. But there was something about this that made me feel like, okay, if I can get there, if I can get myself there, then I will feel like, okay, I can check the box on I'm an intelligent woman for everybody else. And so that's really what drove me. I got like a 4.0 every semester after that. I started my career in banking in New York because I just like I was calling them like every day. I was reaching out to new people all the time just to get an interview. It was like a whole thing. It became a game for me. Uh, but then when I got to finance, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I don't know if I like this. This isn't for me. And most of those rooms, I was the only woman or the only person of color or both. And I kind of realized I was playing the wrong game because for the people who are really excelling in in finance, uh, fin like the things that you, the technical skills required to do well there, those were skills number like, 30, 31, and 32 for me. But all the skills like one through 29 that include things like creativity and, you know, my my ambition, like the things that make me me, I wasn't able to exercise or channel. And so I started to feel increasingly suffocated. And year six in finance, I was working in private equity. I'm like, I really can't do this anymore in my, with my life. But I don't know what it is I want to do with my life. So let me go to business school. What's the most like risk averse thing I could do? And so similar to that kind of drive to prove myself and get that stamp of external validation, I was motivated to go to an Ivy League to, again to see if I could do it and keep up. Uh, and I got there and the second day of school, I, I met my co-founder and it was off to the races. But I, I had a very windy journey and looking at my resume or my LinkedIn, you might think I was a straight A student or had my shit together at any point in time before my 20s, uh, but I didn't. And I, I hope that by sharing that people 
realize that there's no timeline. Everybody's on their own path. And just because the world gives us these constructs around, you know, you have to figure out what you want to do with your life at 18 and then that's it. It's like, we don't have to buy into that. And you can always find yourself no matter how old you are. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. Listening, and now let's get back to the show. Yes, I, I love this. And it resonates so much with me because I feel like our stories are so similar. Like I went down the investment banking route. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast. But the recruiter was like, you didn't go to an Ivy League school. Why should we hire you? I was like, say what? And like, I just got me so fired up because similar to you, I'm like, this is now a game. Like the fact that like we are women, women of color. I went to BU, you know, it was not a top Ivy League school. But you just feel like 
I could get there. You know, I could, there's nothing different. Like we have the ambition to make it work. And similar to you, like I was hustling, networking up the wazoo to kind of get it. And then you get there and you're like, wow, this is what everybody talks about. It's like, is this for real? And you know, no, like I had the heydays, you know, the first year you're like, oh, I made it. I'm in New York. Like I'm making great money. This is amazing. And then, I mean, I guess it's a fortunate thing that we were, quote unquote, like in our 20s figuring this out. But it was the first time I realized, like, wow, there's more to life than just checking the box of like, what's the right next step? And we it seems like yes. we both kind of killed ourselves to get there. So that kind of went through my own journey of like, well, who am I? What do I want to do? Like, I'm now here. You know, what's the next step? And it feels like you kind of went through that own journey. And what also stands out is you were in finance also for like six years. A lot of people do it for two years and they bounce or they go, you know, do something else. So, you know, even really like establishing yourself for six years and making a leap, it's never the right time. You know, whether you're 10 years in your career, 15, 20, six years, like at that point you've established yourself. So I just love that you kind of realize like this is not the right thing for you and you know what's the next step so you went to business school that was your time to kind of like get yourself out of the grind reevaluate what you're doing and tell me so you briefly mentioned which is awesome and super serendipitous that on day two you ended up meeting someone so tell me more about this moment of meeting this person that ends up being just a significant key member of your life and this is like this is why i i believe in the universe and our law of attraction and, you know, things that are outside of our control, because I did not go in with the mindset of wanting to start my own company. If anything, I thought I actually one day wanted to have my own, but I did. I thought I needed more experience or more skills and some arbitrary thing before I could do it myself. So I thought, okay, why not go into VC investing where I could be exposed to a bunch of entrepreneurs and early stage, you know, businesses and, then I'll learn enough to do my own thing one day. And so that was my mindset going in. And on the second day of school, I happened to have lunch at the same time as Justin Silver, my co-founder. And he also worked in finance prior to starting at Wharton. And we were just talking about some of the things we worked on. I was focused mostly on financial institutions and industrial companies, so nothing exciting. Uh, But he focused mostly on beauty and investing in beauty brands. And I just found that so fascinating. So I was asking him about it, and he told me his most recent investment was in a brand called Tatcha. And I don't know if you know it. It's a Japanese-inspired brand, beautiful, um, just a, a gorgeous, gorgeous brand. I'm asking him about it. He tells me how that founder, Vicky, brings these Japanese ingredients and rituals to the U.S. in a luxury format, like green tea, rice bran oil, black charcoal. And I'm like, wait a minute, there are all these Indian rituals and ingredients that are so sacred to my culture that haven't been brought here. So suddenly I'm I'm so excited telling him with this like sense of pride that I don't even recognize in myself about all these rituals and treatments that I would create with my mom in Michigan, with my grandmothers in India. Uh, and so then he would ask, he's like, every time you'd make a turmeric mask, for example, you'd make mm-hmm. it at home one by one with the ingredients. And I'm like, well, yeah. And he's like, why can't you just buy it at the store? And within two weeks of that conversation, we transferred all of our business school tuition into a joint savings account and took out business school loans that I'm still paying off. But I just we never looked back. I, it was something about that energy and the way that he was able to bring this sense of excitement and passion in me that I honestly didn't mm. think I had anymore. I was like, if I don't bet on myself now, I'm going to regret it forever. So let me try this. 
Oh, I have literally like goosebumps right now hearing the story <laughs> because I think sometimes you don't realize that potential you have in yourself. And it's so important to put yourself in new situations or talk to different people and just like get exposure to what other people are kind of doing to turn that on. Because if you're yeah. just kind of doing the same thing every day, listening to the same thing around the same friends, like you won't you won't be thinking differently. And so just hearing your exactly. own journey of like meeting Justin and through a conversation, how that idea kind of like turned on, it's awesome because I'm sure for you, it's like very normal to be making this turmeric mask at home with your family. Like you're not exactly. thinking like one day I'm going to create a product, but so you are fired up with Justin. You know, he clearly is, you know, is familiar with Tatcha and Vicky Sai was on the podcast. She's another phenomenal founder, yes. big fan of her and everything she's doing. Um, but did you ever question yourself? You know, beauty is super saturated, right? It's a very competitive market. In those early days when you were thinking about the product and like starting this business with Justin, did you have any imposter syndrome of, you know, I don't have this skincare background. I'm like a finance person. Anything that was kind of rumbling in your mind at that time? Totally, totally. And I think that it's one of those things where for me, it was, I don't have beauty experience. I'm not your typical beauty brand founder. Like most beauty brand founders were some sort of like YouTube personality or like create content. Like I'm not that type of woman <laughs> at all. And I, nor do, did I want to be. So there were just yeah. parts of my personality that I felt like didn't fit that mold. And then of course there was the uh, anxiety from not having the formal experience in the industry. And I would say for anybody, when you start, you're going to have a bunch of things that you can excel at because they're naturally aligned with your skills. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of things that are not aligned with you and things you need to work on or things you need to outsource. Like mm. you have to just pick one or the other. And for me, that sense of, you know, oh my gosh, I've never done this before. I tried to reframe it most of the time for myself in the sense that not having done a lot of things can also very much be an advantage mm. many, many of the time. And it's almost our own interpretation of events that manifests how that event proceeds, if that makes yeah. sense. So if you're focused on not having experience and, oh my God, they're going to see through this or then that is what you are going to get back out, which is why authenticity is so important because when you just speak from a place of pure integrity, there is no anxiety or questioning of, of the thing you're saying. It's We get in our own way a lot. Um, I feel like I've just rambled a little and like sidetracked now, but that's, I, that's what I try. It's just taken a lot of like self, personal self-development and, and kind of like reading a lot of books and focus mm -hmm. more on my self-esteem to get out of that sense of imposter syndrome. Yeah, no, for sure. And there's nothing better than starting a business for you to work through that, right? Like there's so many things that I realized that I was insecure about when I started the business, it's like completely unveiling this new side of you that I thought I had worked through. I'm like, wow, I am, you know, similar to you, like being in health and wellness, that is not my background. But I think what you really said, which has also helped me. So I want to reiterate that for anyone listening is if you're being true to who you are and you're not trying to show up as someone else, like it sounds super basic, but it really gives you the confidence to like speak, create a product, start a business. And for me, it was like, I'm not the expert. I partnered with people who are experts, but I know yeah. the problem that women are going through because I've lived this, right? And similar to you, like, you know how to create these products. Like, you know, your own journey and the, and the skincare problems you had to create these problems. And I think 
not overthinking it too much and just doubling down on who you are. And again, it seems like me and you, we were figuring that out as we launched the company because a lot of people want to figure that out before. And it's like, we, I was nervous about it, but we still launched, but we figured out that journey because you're trying different things. You're like, okay, I just talked to this person that didn't resonate. Oh, I just was vulnerable for the first time that resonated. Like you figure it out. So I love that you did that. And you know, I have so many questions to go through there, but I'm going to hold on that to get to a little bit later with your rebranding. But I want to talk about, you know, you briefly mentioned that you and your co-founder, you took your tuition money to kind of launch the first product, I believe. But tell me more about how you guys funded the business and and how you really thought about raising capital like thereafter. Yeah. So uh, in pooling our savings, basically, we realized that we could take the business as far as the first production order. So we could afford the R&D on a certain amount of formulas and get to a place where we have 1,000 units of four different formulas. And then after that, we were going to have to figure it out. And Mm -hmm. so knowing that, it really helped with fundraising, I would say, because that clarity just made it it just made it so much easier. I think a lot of times people are even debating, should I fundraise? When should I fundraise? And if you are only fundraising when you absolutely need it, it just makes it so much easier because you can be very concrete and specific with where that funding is going and how far it will take you. Uh, so we bootstrapped for the first couple years of the business. And then after we launched and started selling, we were like, okay, this is actually a thing. Within the first like three months, we kind of realized like, we're close to something here. This isn't nothing. Um, we were like, okay, well, in order to afford the next run, we need 300K. Like, let's go get this. And so we started with the friends and family round. And ironically, it was mostly like second or third degree connections of friends and family uh, who ended up investing. But that's just how it works when, you know, you're not starting with a robust network. And um, it just sort of took it from there. So we've basically been raising capital as needed in order to foster existing growth, which is just a really cool experience. But at the same time, simultaneously, it's like very exhausting to constantly be raising. <laughs> I It's like a full-time job. I, it's, I, you know, we're still self-funded. We haven't gone down that journey. But thinking like you're the CEO of this business and you're fundraising, there's a lot to kind of manage there. But so thinking about, you know, the first, when you guys first launched those, I believe you said four product lines, you noticed within three months that you really had something there. So how are you guys creating awareness just to kind of prove out the concept with that first like thousand units you were looking to sell? So it was exclusively on social media and we're still a D2C brand. So everything is digital and, you know, our social media channels are really our way to share our voice and build our platform. And so in the beginning, I, you know, I posted every single day, three times a day for six months before we launched our product. So I launched it, the Instagram in January of 2018, and we were available to sell on avrani.com in June of 2018. But I needed to figure out how to navigate social media. I didn't know what it meant to use hashtags, to collaborate with people, like, and the the tools are changing every day. So- I got to a place where by the time we launched the product, we had nearly 10,000 followers on social media. So we actually had an audience to speak to. Uh, And then we also partnered with a lot of emerging influencers. And at the time, you know, someone with 10K influencers 
would have, you know, been, you know, people wouldn't have gone after them because they're looking for scale and they want the people with like a million followers, but we couldn't afford to pay. And it ended up being in our favor because we got these more micro influencers at like, we had a more volume of them, but they each had smaller audiences, which meant we actually got an authentic channel into real people. And it was very much community driven from the beginning. I love that. And I think this is something that anyone can really do if you have a business idea. Like social media is free. You get on there, you show up. It's super uncomfortable. I mean, similar similar to you, we launched our social a year before the product came out. We weren't doing three posts. We were just doing one post a day. But just building that community and you're kind of figuring out your voice along the way and you're figuring yes. out how does this thing work? Like how what's the, you know, what's the channel we want to use? And now, of course, there's so many other social media platforms. But just showing, just kind of talking through that because anyone can get started today. You can start a social media platform. You don't need a ton of money to kind of connect with smaller influencers because they still can have a big impact. Um, so it's very cool to see just how you created that market early on. And you saw like, okay, there's something here. Now we feel confident to raise money and do, you know, pull the trigger exactly. on the larger run. Yeah. Cause it's super intimidating to spend like 300 K on a production line when you don't even know. Exactly. <laughs> you have no idea. I'm like, how are, how do you sleep? I don't have the guts to do that. Like I couldn't sleep, but it's like, <laughs> why isn't it better just to prove it out a little bit, you know, and then you can take it to the next level with scale and you take different bets. But it's cool that you guys knew that before you, you know, really spent that 300K to take it to the next level. And, you know, I'm also curious, you talked about influencer marketing or just even the awareness from early on, how has that shifted as obviously growth has become so much more monumental, you know, a few years later? Um, so interestingly, the strategy isn't shifted too much in the sense that we still work with a lot of micro influencers. Now they're called like nano influencers on the grand scale. Oh, that right? Things, I did not know but that. <laughs> I've still found the most success in just partnering with authentic people who actually love your product and aren't yeah. just trying to push a bunch of different brands. I think people forget that from the customer side. Yeah, if this person has a million followers, that's amazing. But if they're pushing a new brand out every day, even if it's not competitive with your specific brand, the ethos of, the, of that person is colored by the fact that people know they're seeing advertisements and that changes the purchase behavior. So it's been important for us to stay in that nano micro community uh, and you know really invest in the creators to, to do their thing because they are actually a lot more lucrative in the long run than a short burst on somebody with millions of followers. Yeah. And that's helpful to hear. And with these nano influencers, and I believe I was reading an article where you're talking about this, but correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you've built a long-term relationship with them. So are you still yes. working with the same kind of influencers, whether it's new product lines or new sponsorship opportunities? Like how have you kind of thought about that? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that was entirely a learn as I go kind of thing. So it took me like five years to get to this point where I'm like, this is how I want to do influencer marketing. Uh, because in the beginning, it's really enticing to want to get maximum exposure. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, we're all in this, we're anxious about growing as quick as possible. Uh, but I found that longer term partnerships just make it so much more authentic again, to the community, putting that customer first. If I see somebody who is peddling product all the time, it's not going to resonate with me as much. But if I see somebody like doing their makeup and Avrani is in the background, 
we, they don't even have to say anything about it. It makes such a statement that they personally are using it and they're not being paid to, to talk about it. You know what I mean? So those kind of nuances just make a really big difference in the psychology of the, of the whole influencer customer dynamic. And it's just been a really amazing way to elevate our, our authentic voice uh, through the community. I love that. And I think you were just saying like you were learning as you go. It also takes time to kind of learn the landscape of like influencers in your world. I can easily say from now, like, of course I wouldn't do a pay for post $10,000 for one post for someone from a million, million followers. But I had to make that mistake before I could sit here and tell you that that's not the way to go. And some mistakes you have to make yourself to really understand. And when you first waste that few thousand dollars and it just feels like so terrible, you're never going to do it again versus another founder even telling you not to do it that way. Uh, So yeah, let's, we should also not be so hard on ourselves for those mistakes because they're teaching us things in a really concrete way. Also, you're learning the landscape of like, what's the market price for things? And it's kind of like this gray box, like, is this influencer the right one? So I think like making those mistakes and if, you know, maybe don't spend so much money to make these mistakes, but like, you know, do little things. But similar to you, you know, we went through our own journey and we're still kind of figuring it out. But now I have a better gauge of like who is within our company's called Bia, like the Bia brand, who is the right person for it. And similar to what you were saying, you know, these smaller, actually they're really our customers who've turned into like yes, these micro exactly. influence. And then like, how beautiful is that, right? Just to see the impact that your customers are making. And also, and I'd love to get your thoughts, like one of the best parts of starting a business and really what allows me to like enjoy the process. I always just go deep with the customers because they're just like so amazing. I'm like, this is the best part of starting a business. So I'd love to hear just kind of your thoughts around that. Totally. I mean, at the end of the day, the customers even existing and wanting your product, like that's what motivates me and like what makes the all-nighters worth it, what makes all the chaos of the whole situation worth it. Uh, if you are actually serving an authentic community, it's just like, it's incredible. That feeling is, I think, a big reason why any entrepreneur chases this whole thing. Totally. And like stays in the game. It's because you're like serving your community. You're actually serving real people. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like some of them were actually like friends. Like we are connecting. They have my number. Like we're chatting all the time. So (laughs) it's really fun. It's really fun. And you know, one thing that you've also talked about through your journey, I think it was in 2019, where you were very open about just going through a really tough time and dealing with depression. So we kind of t- walked mm-hmm. through everything you were building with Avrani. So within all that, you were going through your own emotional, you know, journey. Yes. So share more about that if if you feel comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is a, a big part of one of those things that people don't talk about enough in the sense that no one prepares you for it in business school. They don't talk about the emotional or personal side of the whole process where I truly believe that it is a dual process. It happens in parallel. Like one of the things you mentioned earlier in our conversation, you were like, people wait to be ready and personally like developed and confident and all that before they start the business when I have reframed, and I used to feel the same, but now I've reframed it to starting the business has been the catalyst for my personal journey. And it's really the thing that I now look at as 
an output of my personal journey versus the business being my, you know, wrapped up with my self-worth and my self-esteem and going on that volatility. It just, obviously it doesn't serve you, but it's also just like not the right way to look at this because it just makes for a really unhappy experience. And so in 2019, it got to a place where we had been working on it for a couple of years. We just graduated from school, moved back to New York, and I started building out my team. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, like at all. And I didn't even appreciate that the fact that I was in business school, it kind of, uh, it didn't give me the full leap into feeling like a full founder entrepreneur full time, because in the back of my mind, I was like, if this thing doesn't work, I just go back to normal life. Right now I'm an MBA student. So that's what gave me more sense of self-worth than being the founder and CEO of a thing that I'm like, is this even real? (laughs) You know? And then here I am in New York and I'm like interviewing people like to join my team. And I can't even confidently shake their hand and say, I'm the Mm. CEO and founder of this business because I didn't truly embody it myself. I had this sudden disconnect of like, what is any of this? Like I'm really going out there as an entrepreneur and on the inside, all you see is the problems. And if your value is linked to the outcome of your business, of course, you're just like in the worst place. So that's where I was confronted with my depression in a really big way. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't motivated to, you know, do anything because it's a vicious cycle. I mean, you think negative thoughts like are, are fine in the sense that you're being realistic, but what you don't realize is you become your thoughts, your behaviors are manifestations of your thoughts and negative thoughts just pile on each other in a downward spiral. So when you think you're not good enough, it affects the approach to your work and then your work will not be good enough. Right. And then you'll feel even worse because the outcome's bad and it just keeps going and going. And it got to a place in end of 2019. I was like almost at my peak, like, Oh my God, I'm having a hard time even getting out of bed. And I won Forbes 30 under 30 for 2020. And I got this and I'm just like, I am at the worst place in my life. Like I feel like the most trash. I even worse than like the times I got in severe trouble in high school. Like I felt like just the worst I've ever felt. And then here I have this external validation. I'm like, you don't need that to be happy right now. You see how that's not going to bring you anything. So stop Mm -hmm. focusing on that. Like start focusing on this, the person that you're dealing with the most all of the time, like let's work on her and then we can get to all these accolades and things that you're craving, but it's, it starts here. And so that was really like a huge inflection point in my personal journey. That's, I appreciate you opening up about that because I think that's super, super real. And I think we all, I mean, not everybody goes through this, but you know, I went through my own version of it, maybe not to that extent, but my question is, you know, how did you kind of get out of that rut? Because everything you're saying is so incredibly true. And like, just one thing that really stands out is when you are having these negative thoughts and not feeling good or insecure about yourself, running a business with that energy is just going to put you in a spiral, like you said, of like bad work, bad decision, then you're upset at yourself, and then your team member is upset, and then you're upset. It's like, it's it's just a a never-ending cycle. So similarly to you, 
you know, there are times and I'm trying so hard not to be burnt out. And I love this business. So naturally, like I'll have days where I'm like, I don't feel as inspired because I think I've just been going so much. So this is very unlike me, but I just stop. I don't work because I know. That's amazing. But that's what we need to be doing more. Yeah. Exactly. And because my thoughts go to a place where I know and what I've come to a point now is that when I'm tired, so sleep is huge for me. Sleep kind of keeps me sane and like builds a resilience. (laughs) Like I take it like it's like my religion. Like that's the only way I can show up. Right. And like do what you're doing. (laughs) But it's like you have these and I'm just sharing this because it's something that it seems like you went through and also I'm going through and maybe people who are listening are we have these crazy thoughts sometimes, especially when you're like in a bad place. So just not believing those thoughts sometimes and just pausing and not working, I think has been like game changing for me. And like you were saying, you know, there's less pressure of, of the business because you can easily get stuck in like, oh my, like in the beginning, okay, we're going to hit this amount. All right. Are we growing month over month? Especially like coming from our finance backgrounds. Like that's all we know. Like we are. That's our only measure of success. Yeah. (laughs) Right. How sick is that? Like, But luckily we know like that doesn't bring you happiness. And like, for example, right now we had our biggest month right this month of September. And of course, I'm so proud of that, but I am not attached to it. Like genuinely, like I'm still working. Literally exactly the same. This has been our biggest month. And suddenly I feel this like peace. I used to feel a pressure of like, well, how am I going to grow even more than this then? Like Yeah. And like, that's not healthy, right? Like energetically for the business and what you put out there, you put pressure and then it comes off to everyone around you. So I think fundamentally, like the work you were going through and just getting to that piece of the self work is just so, so important. If you want to be happy through the process, which is really important to me, like you can kill it, be unhealthy, you know, not live like a happy life with friends and family, but it's like, how can we build an amazing business, but still be happy in our life and feel good about it. Um, exactly. Yeah. Tell me more about how you kind of got out of that rut. You mentioned like you fell into books, but like what really kind of helped you think through all this at that time? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest unlock from a mental perspective was the self-acceptance truly mm-hmm. around the whole thing. Because the first thing I realized once I admitted to myself, like, hey, this is depression, but it's okay. Like, there's there's no shame in it. There's nothing to be upset about. It's almost like you realize it's a part of your physiology versus feeling guilty for causing it for yourself, because obviously you don't want it to be there. Uh, so once I was able to accept that it existed, I realized how many times I was getting into those downward spirals of it was my resistance to the depression or like even saying the word or even like indulging in it. Honestly, mentally, I would avoid that and just fill my, like it it manifested in different ways. Like I would give myself to-do lists that were like fucking impossible. It was like, get into Vogue, like sell through all the units of this month's inventory, hire three people. Like I would really create to-do lists like that and then be mad at myself at the end of the day if I inevitably didn't even get through one of those things because it all requires 12 things before, you know what I mean? And so getting to a place of acceptance looked like, okay, hey, I'm depressed. That means my capacity is lower for work. What is the bare minimum I need to do this week, then this day and this hour and really pulling it down into 
small buckets, it made me able to navigate it so much better Mm. because I gave myself permission to just be depressed versus pile on all these expectations just to get more mad at myself. So there were days where I'm like, literally, if you brush your teeth, shower, go for a walk and then clean your inbox, you've had an outstanding day. And then I would actually be able to go through those things and then, you know, be really happy with myself. I would end the day. Meanwhile, if I only did those four things five years ago, I would, it would cause depression and make me like, you're such a piece of shit. You didn't do anything. So that's a long winded way of saying there's a lot of just kind of mental reframing I Mm. needed to do in order to navigate the depression sooner. And I'm not trying to say like it sped up or I was able to get out of it right away. Like, no, it, it took like three months to fully heal from it, but I allowed myself to go through it. And I accommodated the rest of my life around it. And that wouldn't have happened without first self-accepting the situation. That That's really powerful because it's just like, you had no judgment on yourself. Like even talking about like the the days, and this is still something I battle with, but like those days that I talk about, I might not be working. I am having that crazy voice saying, Yasna, what do you mean you're not working? Like you're starting a business. Like you're, you're young, you're capable. You're not dying. You know, I have this self-talk. I I have this person in me who's like a personal trainer figure. Who's like, yeah, if it were easy, everyone would be exactly. doing it. Do you think they're taking breaks? Like like someone kind of like yelling in my ear. Totally. And you're like, and that's again, like talking about entrepreneurship, that's what you quote unquote think of entrepreneurship and why I want to have these conversations because it actually doesn't work like that. And, uh, and like one thing I realized on my own journey is this is a marathon, right? Like three mm-hmm. months of your life, how you were really working on yourself in the 10 years that you're having this business is not a big deal. And if anything, and it, it propels yeah. me in the future, right? Exactly. We think in the moment, like it pulls you back, but it's like, it's a necessary pullback to go farther. Oh my God. It's so true. And like to also mentally get yourself ready for that next step in whatever your business is. Like if you don't deal with that self-talk, the judgment, like you just won't be ready for that, like next milestone and whatever that is. So that Completely. is super yeah. huge and, you know, something I'm still am working on, but I'm curious, you know, you've come a long way from that time. Are there any rituals that you have in place now that kind of keep you sane? Because, you know, you are, you know, growing immensely. Congrats on having, you know, one of your biggest months, you're fundraising, you. like you're still doing and you have a pretty big team. But how do you deal with that feeling of overwhelm sometime that might kind of creep up if you don't sleep well or you just have like a crazy few days? Yeah, no, I'm so glad you asked about rituals because I have realized it really all comes down to daily habits. And if you can create a framework for yourself on the types of habits you'd like to have, the rest of life will kind of help propel that. So what I mean is, as an example, if I dedicate three times a week, I'm going to exercise no matter what. I'm just that's what I'm going to do. It's actually manifests in a way better way because that means I'm having a more regular sleep routine because I'm like, I need to go to bed and if I'm going to exercise by this time, it means I'm eating better because I don't want to feel like shit while I'm exercising. It has all these amazing ripple effects and that's just one small habit that I changed in my life. So it really does come down to the rituals that are most important to you. If you can prioritize a couple of things 
you'd be surprised how much else falls into place because it is helping to support that one ritual that you have decided you value the most and that you want to focus on. 100%. No, that totally makes sense. And, you know, in the moments where you do feel a sense of overwhelm, I know you've mentioned this in a few of your like Instagram posts, but, you know, do you go for a walk? Do you kind of pause your day? I mean, I know it's hard to pause your day, especially when you have like a larger team, but any tactical tips you do in those moments when you do feel overwhelmed? Or is it those rituals, those daily rituals that you feel like has kind of helped you stay more level headed than usual. Yeah. So I I would say both. So the volatility of my life went from zero to hundred every day to like zero to 10. So it's just a lot more calm. So rituals will help your baseline level of calm improve on a long-term basis. But of course there are moments where you're overwhelmed because you're constantly hit with things you haven't experienced before. So of course it's going to pull you in a direction you haven't experienced. Uh, for me, one of the things, I mean, I'm hate to admit, but I am prone to anger as an individual. Like, and I learned that through again, the business, like someone ticks me off at a time where I haven't slept and haven't eaten yet. Like, no, I don't want we shouldn't be in the same room. You know what I mean? And I've worked so hard to get to a place where I can stay calm and composed because I've realized that, especially as a leader, that's one of the most important things to be able to embody a sense of composure and non-reactive kind of emotional stability. Uh, mm-hmm. And in those moments, I, d- I literally focus on my breath. So yeah. what happens is I can feel my heart start to pulsate a little faster. And that's also something that's just come from first deciding to be more conscious of like, okay, this is something I want to work on. Let me first observe how does my body react? Because I'm, it's not cute to snap at somebody. I'm not proud of being a firecracker. I'm, I want to get past this. And if I'm going to do that, you know, what does that mean to me? And, and let me start noticing, like, so I know how to work with the system I have. And so I would notice, like, my heart start racing, my, my breath start shaking. I, I tend to, like, look away because I, I still have this little bit of a people pleaser part of me, which is like, I don't want people to hate me, but I have this really hard feedback to give you. So I started noticing those things and it was like, okay, once I can focus on my body first and my breath, then I can, you know, have a clearer head in the moment. And definitely there are times where I'm like, hey guys, I just need to go for a walk or I'll, you know, put in my headphones and like blast Eminem and just get lost in in the lyrics to try to catch it all. And then I've forgotten what I'm so mad about by the time I revisit it. So like little things like that has helped me a lot, but I think it's less important what the actual things are because they're so personal to everybody that's going to help them, you know, navigate that. It's more like you need to consciously turn on a sense of I want to improve in this thing and just start to observe yourself a little bit more in those situations that you're trying to refine. Yeah. And I think you just saying, and this is something that I definitely didn't have, especially pre like finance days. I was not observing how I was feeling and just that process. It's taking me, I feel like I'm finally now at the place, but it's taking me a good like three years, like three and a half years to really understand like, oh, my heart is beating. I'm actually like, I also stopped breathing and my husband's like, babe, like, you know, you're not breathing. Is everything okay? I'm like, oh yeah, everything's fine. But no, it's not (laughs) like my body just shuts, like my breath, you know, stops. So just you saying, 
you know, how can you just be introspective of what's going on in your body so you know how to like work through it? I think that is actually game changing. And like similar to you, when I get like that, you know, if it's like a tough business conversation or something happened that I have to like have a really hard conversation about, I've actually, but old Yasmin, I used to just automatically, I'm like a solutions person. Like I'll look calm, but behind the scenes, I'm not breathing. I'm wanting yeah. to jump in. It's like a duck with the feet underwater. Oh yeah. Everyone's <laughs> like, you're so chill. I'm like, if you only like knew what yes. it was like. And my husband sees it all. And he's like, are you okay? You should go for a walk. And I'm like, okay, good point. Yeah, no, totally. But what I realize is like, I don't have to always give a response like then and there, right? So like that is like the biggest thing of just like, you know, I'm going to get back to you or let's schedule this meeting for tomorrow. And then I will like think through it. I'll breathe. My brain is functioning. And like, it is just so much more of a better experience, especially for like those really hard, super uncomfortable conversations, which are like- I love that advice. Yeah. It's so, and like you were saying, like we are learning to do different things all the time. No one's teaching me how to deal with a trademark issue with someone that our lawyer brought up, but who has to have the conversation? This woman right here, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Like we're all figuring it out. So I think just pausing and like taking time to reflect and like breathe, I think is really important. Totally. But I actually want to make sure we also talk about with Avrani, one thing you mentioned, which I thought was interesting is in the beginning, you were too afraid of being too Indian. And I know you guys ended up doing a rebranding, but tell me more about that process and really how you thought about, like how you really leaned into the culture with this rebrand. Yeah. So I I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I did not feel this sense of belonging growing up. And a big part of that was weaved into my own lack of cultural appreciation and pride in my identity and where I'm from, uh, I learned to be a chameleon and be the person that people wanted me to be or the person I needed to be in order to win in that room, right? I never thought about who am I actually. And so as I was creating Avrani in the initial packaging and aesthetic and website and all of that, I didn't tap into what I wanted. I tapped into what do people expect out of an Ayurvedic beauty brand? What are some common Indian themes, quote unquote? Uh, What are some things to offset those Indian themes? So for example, we had yellow gold accents on our packaging, but then I also had millennial pink on there because Glossier had launched and had done so successfully. So I'm like constantly trying to be everything to everyone, Mm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And a couple years into the business, and this also happened in 2019, which was like a driver of my kind of like first shock uh, as part of this journey. I was like, I don't connect to this thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm holding it up. I'm talking about it, but this isn't Rushi. And in those convers- in those conversations in my own head, I, I finally pushed myself like, okay, then what is Rushi? Like what would an authentic interpretation of you in a brand actually look like? And I was like, well, I don't know. And so then I kept avoiding it and just getting mad at the situation. And I'm like, all right, either I'm going to fix this or not, right? I can keep fundraising. I can keep growing and like get the, you know, metrics, the transactional value out of this business. But you're, I was noticing I'm not, I wasn't putting my heart into it in the way that I thought I would be able to. And so in sort of asking myself that question, okay, what does an authentic interpretation of Rushi look like in a brand? I started asking myself questions like, okay, let's start with the logo. We want all caps. We want sans serif. We want a clean look, but we want a disruption. Like all these things that 
I was able to access of myself, I would just put it through in the brand. And like the base color is hyper blue because it's my favorite color. And that's how I, I started it. Thank you. Thank you. I just, I, I basically created the creative expression of myself through the lens of an Ayurvedic beauty brand in, in context of what you see now. You know, one thing you mentioned, which I thought was interesting, because I think this happens often, you're kind of not happy with something in the business. You don't know what the answer is. So you get frustrated with yourself because you haven't fixed that thing. And you kind of mentioned that right yes. with the brand. Like, you're like, this doesn't resonate, but I actually don't know what I want. So like, then you get mad that you, it's at six months later, you still haven't fixed it. Like, I totally get that. That's happened to me in different things. So how did you... Cre- kind of walk through that? Did you just create the space and say, you know what, I'm going to actually just sit down and think through like, who am I? Like, how did you kind of finally nip it in the butt and and get to that point? So to your point, what I was doing at the time, my solution was, okay, after my to-do list, when I go home, I would write a bullet, think about brand or like create new brand, like as though it was like some one-off thing I could do on the couch. And I kept writing that week after week. And I kept being like, all right, you're either going to do something here or you're not. And it was one of those situations where I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to be intentional about creating this brand, something else has got to go. And that's one of the harder things in the early stages too, is because you don't want to admit to yourself what you just can't do. Right. And so what we end up doing is trying to do everything and then just getting mad at ourselves for not being able to do it all. Um, But Being intentional about taking that time to think about the brand in a way that, fine, I can at least say I worked on it and I tried before I look for other solutions. But right now, I'm just not doing anything about this. So I started blocking off afternoons on Tuesdays. I wouldn't go into the office. I told my co-founder, like, I need to just step back and think and create. And Unlike, you know, creating inventory forecasting or the financial model, this isn't a thing I can block two to four, make brand and then get it done in those two hours and move on. Like inspiration hits you when it hits you. And the only way to get there is to give yourself space for that inspiration and to get out of that transactional mindset of like for two hours of my time, I expect X amount of output. Creativity just doesn't work like that. So as soon as I started surrendering to that a little bit, inspiration was just coming at me of like, this is the color. This is, I want it to feel celebratory. I want it to have this bold modern art. It just kind of started flowing out. Yeah. I love that. I think just being intentional about it. And I definitely have had that to-do list and the bottom (laughs) is like something super important. And I'm like, who do I think I am to be doing that at 4 PM? It's like crank out. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Like, you know, I think also like being real with yourself that we are not machines. I've come a long way in terms of like, what are maybe one or two big needle moving things I can get done today realistically. And sometimes it's just one. And I'm actually like slowly getting to the point where it's okay with, I'm okay with that. But yes, stacking your to-do list, putting a point, you know, in the beginning, everything is super important. You're like, what do you mean? I can't like do that first, but just you creating space and not leaving it later in the afternoon is just so game changing with anything more strategy. So even now, like I try to like get back to emails or do like administrative stuff, bills like later in the day. Um, So Mm. at least in the beginning of the day, like you have your brain and you're on. But I love just what you said, the intentionality behind it. it with anything. If you don't know the answer to 
you know, you didn't know how you're going to think about the brand, but you just created space and you really thought about it. Like that is part of the process of like, exactly, exactly. right. Even like starting a business and whatever, you know, thinking through everything in your business, that just resonates a lot to me. And I want to close on one last question. I'm always curious about this with entrepreneurs, but I know you have like a set of investors, but do you have any mentors or, you know, communities that kind of keep you, I don't know if the sane is the right word, just keep you inspired, right? Because there's so much that we do every day that we don't even know. So do you have a network that you kind of tap into or how do you kind of work through all that? Yeah. I mean, one of my earliest mentors as part of building Avrani is this man named Manish Goyal. He's an Indian guy. He's an entrepreneur uh, and a restaurant owner. Uh, He's all about South Asian culture and elevating the culture. And it's something that's just really important to me. It's the underlying mission of what I'm doing. Uh, And I got connected to him uh, through a network at Wharton, actually through the Warby Parker guys who had worked with him. Uh, They're like an Indian brand, East Coast, you've got to meet Manish. And from that first conversation in 2018, he's just been so instrumental in showing me that basically community and culture is something that we can create. And it's our responsibility to create as Mm -hmm. second generation South Asians uh, because it just, it doesn't exist. And instead of getting defeated by that and indulging in that sense of like lacking belonging, take that as inspiration to make your own spaces and create your own sense of community. And so he's built an amazing community for himself. He's helped me a ton with networking. And most importantly, he's inspired me to build a real community around Avrani in a way that I just, I would never have imagined I needed or wanted or anything before starting it. Meanwhile, it's the very thing that has finally made me at terms and at peace with who I am and gave me that sense of belonging. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. And just your relationship with him, is this more of just a casual like mentorship or is is he an advisor, investor in the business? He's an advisor and an investor. Yeah, all of those things. Yeah. (laughs) So it's it's just really nice to have like a a third party view of what's going, even though he's obviously invested in the, our success, um, because he's not so in it, he's able to give me just amazing feedback and I trust him. So, you know, as I'm sure you appreciate now, there's nothing quite like honest coming from a good place feedback. We don't get enough of that in life. Totally. Yeah. And I think what you said, it's so important to have these people around you, whether it's advisors or mentors that aren't in the day to day, it's just so important to talk about different issues or problems that you're going through because everybody just has a different perspective. And it seems like he understands the mission of the business. It's someone you trust and respect. So I always love to ask that question because I think so much of your success is also tied to like what mentorship you have around you. Totally. Totally. Right. Totally. Without the right support system. I mean, even thinking like my husband is an amazing support system. I don't know if I were a single woman, I would be able to do all this because he's such an, he's the emotional backbone for me in many phases of of my career now. So it's, we, it's important to acknowledge that none of us are succeeding on our own, even though it might look like it from the outside. That is so powerful and so, so true. Oh my gosh, Rushi. Well, I feel like I could be talking to you for like another few hours. I know, I know. (laughs) This is like a real masterclass of like the shit that goes on behind the scenes for entrepreneurs. Yes. 
And and thank you so much for having me. I think it's just so critical for women, especially to be candid about these conversations, because like I said, it's unnecessarily holding us back from pursuing our dreams in our fullest way. And I just, there's so much untapped potential for women. I, I just, I'm so happy you're doing this and, and shedding light on these things.